up, everybody? Welcome to IGN Gamescoop. I'm your host, Damon Hadfield. Joining me this week are Tina Amini. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Sam Claiborne. Oh, thanks. It's good to be back. <laughs> and Justin Davis. Scoop. Got a great show for you this week. Uh, we're going to talk about, we're going to do some imagination play, sort of uh, imagining what sort of video game mashups might be fun to uh, play if, if they were ever to happen in our dreams. We're going to flip through the 2002, the May 2002 issue of GamePro. But first, very surprising news this week that Square Enix is selling off its Western Studios, IDOS, uh, Crystal Dynamics, and Square Enix Montreal to the Embracer Group, which is a, a mysterious shadow organization in Sweden <laughs> that over the past years has secretly been just gobbling up franchises and studios left and right. I think now that they're going to have over 850 different franchises and IP under their umbrella. Oh, it's crazy. Formerly, yeah, formerly Nordic Games, formerly THQ Nordic in 2019, rebranded as the Embracer Group. So a little bit, it's the Embracer Group itself might sound random to be the new home of these studios and of franchises like Tomb Raider. And I think the fact that they uh, are making this acquisition for the mere sum, the paltry sum of $300 million is also surprising. But we'll get to that. I think, uh, hear me out, I think this represents the end of a chapter in the story of video games. I think it's bigger than just this acquisition. Allow What's me. the chapter called? Ooh, that's a good... It's a good. Uh, well, maybe it'll be the um, uh, the headline of this video: Japan raids again, which is of course a play on the second Godzilla movie, Godzilla raids again. Of course, which is interesting to think of what Godzilla is doing as raiding, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah, I, that's I didn't. I've never heard that title actually. He's that's raiding? the U.S. That's how they promote it in the United States: Godzilla raids again. I don't. I don't even know. Maybe the actual Japanese name too. That yeah, that yeah, was right. released because it wasn't Godzilla two. There's definitely an, ex- an expectation that he's taking things, right? If you're raiding. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Lives? He's taking lives? I don't know if that really counts. Mm. Our, doesn't fit our definition, the wow definition of going on a raid, does it? No. Yeah, no. no. Yeah, he needs buddies for that. Yeah. Well, he does have buddies, but not in that movie. <laughs> yeah, not, not yet. Anyway, <clears throat> the end of a chapter for video games, uh, if you'll allow. And I believe this chapter began in the mid 2000s when the Japanese gaming industry was experiencing what gamesindustry.biz called an existential crisis. I like the way they put it, where <coughs> there was a feeling, a fear that uh, Western audiences, their tastes were moving away from Japanese games. Uh, at, you know, in the time, Grand Theft Auto, eventually Assassin's Creed, your Call of Duties, your Halos. These are the games that were really starting to blow up in the West. And Japan needed Western audiences because at the time, the console industry in Japan was shrinking as uh, everyone was doing their gaming on, on handheld devices and then eventually on phones. When I started IGN, we went to Tokyo Game Show. There are lots of console games on the show floor, but today, Tokyo Game Show, game show feels like a mobile gaming show. Mm-hmm. So Japan needed Western gamers. There was a feeling that as uh, the audience broadened into a little bit more casual territories, people playing Madden and FIFA and Call of Duty and Halo, they weren't interested in traditional, traditionally super Japanese games your Final Fantasies, your Dragon Quests, weirder stuff like, what, Beautiful Joe and Brave Fencer Musashi. So Japan had to appeal to Western audiences. In 2009, Square Enix acquired IDOS, and that got them both Crystal Dynamics and IO Interactive. So that was their play, Square Enix's play for you know, Western 
talent and hopefully Western audiences. That led to a renaissance for Tomb Raider and Deus Ex and Hitman, all of those series. Mm-hmm. Uh, very well received by critics, considered to be commercial disappointments by Square Enix, even though, I don't know, when you look at the numbers, when you see that the original uh, Tomb Raider reboot in 2013 sold three some million units in its first month, went on to sell 14 and a half million units. I think that, hmm, that sounds pretty good. Not to Square Enix. <laughs> they were they were struggling with like you know Final Fantasy went through a weird dip through the Final Fantasy thirteen <laughs> years where they were three different Final Fantasy thirteen games uh, that were sort of mixed uh, you know they received mixed reception at the time although I think it has its defenders today anyway eventually they landed on Final Fantasies fourteen fifteen and seven remake and they had near automata. And I think it's like they feel like they got their groove back and they're like, nope, we're Japanese games are successful again. We don't need these Western mm. studios. Here you go. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they've never felt like a part of like if you pick like a, a picture of Square Enix games in your mind, like yeah. it's Final Fantasy, right? It's never been Tomb Raider, even though they were a part of like, you know, the Square Enix corporate family for almost as long as they existed independent of it. Yeah. I don't know if this is still happening. Square Enix was publishing Call of Duty games in Japan um, for several see, years. Well, even- so that my comment would be like related to that. Then I, I, I that's an interesting. I must have known that in the back <laughs> of my mind too. But like they, uh, uh, it seemed like Square Enix wanted to change their business and not be a game developer alone, but be like a worldwide publisher and have mm-hmm. you know be a force in publishing, which meant they were buying. Western companies and publishing Call of Duty in Japan and stuff like that. Like that's just like a you know that's like a diversification of their business and, and an expansion of it. Um, it seems surprising t- that they would go back on that um, unless it was you know some dragging unsuccessful part of their business or as you're kind of alluding to, if it's a, a part of a larger philosophy about the success of their own development studio games. Like that's interesting, but like so it just it does it does seem like. The, the parallel to them is Embracer Group, right? Like that, Embracer Group is doing what Square Enix did uh, in 2009. So it's like, why is that appealing to Embracer but not to Square Enix? That doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah. It's yeah. Just, go ahead, Justin. I mean, I don't, I honestly like, you know, Embracer Group, it's a joke, but kind of not a joke that they've bought everything and everyone, right? But they seem to be, they don't have like some unifying corporate strategies and they seem to kind of just, buy them and then let them do their thing and mm. make good games, hopefully. And, um, you know, match up like old dormant IP that like, as part of the Square Enix acquisition, everyone's talking about like, you know, Deus Ex and Tomb Raider, but they bought like 50 IP, right? Mm. So it's like the joke that is maybe not a joke is maybe Embracer would like let someone else make a Sleeping Dogs game, for example, whereas Square Enix didn't really seem to have any interest in pursuing things like that. So mm. they they seem to be, they're not like a top down like we're going to enforce our corporate culture on you and this studio is now going to make games the embracer way like they kind of um they kind of just seem to be enabling game development so far Mm -hmm. um but it's still pretty early days especially for them to have grown so big and so fast so you know i don't know like we'll see how that evolves over the next Mm -hmm. decade or so yeah, that's the interesting element of it is like, you know, Embracer has been kind of unknown and kind of quietly for what a lot of people, not that they're hiding information, just as it's been like slightly less visible because Embracer is not this very well-known public um, viewed company that has a lot of like press and marketing behind it to where the audience really is familiar with it. We even published today, like who is Embracer Group? 
and a timeline of some of their acquisitions that Damon so elegantly uh, really quickly recapped for us. So it's really impressive to see that like suddenly they're coming on people's radars because it's difficult to ignore how many studios, how many IPs they now own and are responsible for. And even in their press release, which, you know, Justin, to your point, like we'll actually see in practice how this goes. But it seemed like they were kind of alluding to like this is our operational model. Like we're very hands off. We're about empowering developers to do the best that they can possibly do um, and not getting in the way of that. And like the underlying not so subtle message is, you know, traditionally in these Japanese markets, there might be more oversight. Um, you know, there's a tendency towards a little bit more uh, involvement uh, alongside the developers. So who knows? Maybe this is a good thing for the studios, actually, and a good thing for games. And maybe Guardians of the Galaxy 2 will be made mm-hmm. and, and do better than the first <clears throat> game because that game deserved more than it got. Yeah, I mean, like they those two Marvel games were kind of a disaster for Square Enix, right? Like, so this this Western arm of their business is kind of distressed in a way where Avengers did not turn into the games as a service hit that they wanted it to. And Guardians is an awesome game, as we've talked about on Scoop uh, repeatedly, but was almost immediately discounted to $20 and just was not the commercial success that they wanted it to be either. So, you know, they're, they're a little bit of like maybe a distressed asset there's rumors that Square Enix itself is interested in being acquired. So, you know, maybe spin off these portions of the business that are not a fit for their core Japanese business and make themselves more, uh, more palatable to, um, you know, a Sony or someone like that, that might be looking to acquire them. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's well known that Square Enix has not been satisfied with the performance of these games and studios, but still 300 million. Like it just seems insanely low, right? Like, uh, you know, I, I just some like quick and dirty numbers that I ran. The original Tomb Raider sells fourteen and a half million units, even if those are at half price. That's that's like around four hundred and fifteen million dollars. <throat> like, but that's only one game that they were. You know, so I just I don't know how it makes sense that all these studios and this talent and these franchises are worth three hundred million dollars. Lara Croft has to be in like the upper echelon of like household names of video game characters, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's on the higher scale of what embrace any of embracers acquisitions. But if you look at it, relatively speaking, like Gearbox alone was above that metric, like 300 something million. I forget the exact number. Yeah. Like, and that's Gearbox alone, but you know, they're not exactly going to be hitting these profits immediately. I think they said something in the press release that they're anticipating like at least a two year runway Mm -hmm. um, before those studios are pumping out their new games and, and making profit off of that too. So it's definitely like, that's the future investment, um, plan. So We'll see if Embracer does better than Square Enix does with it or had done with it. Yeah. There's um, one more wrinkle to Embracer, which is they bought. So in the board game space, there's been consolidation for a long time. And this company, Asmodee, did like an Embracer thing. They bought a million and one board game makers. Hmm. They own the company that makes um, Carcassonne and Pandemic and Twilight Imperium and Agricola. And Asmodee bought everybody. And it's been quite this anxiety-inducing thing in the board game space. And then Embracer bought them. Oh, my gosh. So Embra- yep. Embracer owns Asmodee. They bought them for $3 billion. And, um, and, and it's overwhelmingly... Like, I don't know what percentage of the board game industry it is, but it's like... A huge chunk of it now rolls up it's through like Embracer Milton as well. It's like buying Milton Bradley in 1980. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really nuts. Um, and you know, like I I don't know, like I'm just as I don't follow. I play board games a lot, but I don't follow the industry the way that I do um, gaming. So I can't speak to whether it's been good or bad for business. But man, half the games on my board game shelf are now owned by them mm-hmm. for sure. 
And then in case anyone didn't also know, um, Embracer owns Dark Horse Comics. It's yeah, the Dark Horse crazy. Comics label. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. They made their start in the comic book industry, actually. <clears throat> way back in 1990 something. Is that oh, where, when it was when it was Nordic Games. I think started no, by uh, em, Embracer, Embracer like started out in the comics industry. Yeah. And then they started to acquire like smaller. And that's what I think that's why it's not been on people's radar as much. They acquired smaller games companies. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until THQ and that acquisition where I think that I I would assume that that's the uh, the company acquisition that made it on most gamers radar from that point. Like, OK, here's mm-hmm. this random like parent company holding company name Embracer. Let me ignore it. Oh, wait a minute. They've acquired Gearbox and like suddenly Square Enix selling half of their very desirable from a critical point of view um, games. That's really the, the mm-hmm. where they've been being put on the map. Yeah. I have some other examples of Japanese developers. Uh, making a play for Western audiences and then sort of coming back around to their roots. Capcom in the uh, mid 2000s was experimenting with such failures as Dark Void, Bionic Commando, mm-hmm. the 3D one, Resident Evil 6, although it's, you know, I think it's like the best, one of the best selling Resident Evils for them, but not a, not a beloved game by the uh, fan base. But then came, you know, their biggest hit ever, Monster Hunter World. Traditionally, like the tri- before that, there wasn't a more Japanese series than Monster Hunter. And then they've had huge success with Resident Evil 7 and Village and the remakes of Resident Evil 2 and 3. They've come back around to their Japanese roots. Kanani was experimenting with crazy stuff like uh, Never Dead. Who remembers Mm. Never Dead? Castlevania Lords of Shadow 1 and 2. They tried to do the rock band thing with Rock Revolution. And uh, they they outsourced five Silent Hill games to Western Studios. (laughs) Recently, they found success just re-releasing their old Japanese games and compilations like the Castlevania Advanced Collection. Very old games. Yeah, they're old, old games. Sega acquired Creative Assembly in 2005. That's the Total War studio, I believe. Remember, <laughs> remembers Golden Axe Beast Rider. That was, uh, that was developed by a studio in San Francisco. They also really? bought Two Point, the developer of Two Point Hospital. Yeah. But somewhere along the line, they acquired Atlas. That got them the Persona series. They had a huge hit with Persona 5. Super, super duper Japanese. And uh, now Yakuza is a, you know, a, a very successful series mm-hmm. worldwide. And then Namkai, Namco Bandai, they, you know, before they had FromSoft and before they had, you know, the Soulsborne success story, they had Enslaved. Good game, not a huge success. They had Splatterhouse, the 2009 remake. They outsourced a Ridge Race, a whole Ridge Racer game, to a Western studio. So that's why I believe we've come to we've come back around. The, that's the that's the end of the chapter of Japanese studios not having confidence <coughs> that people around the world want to play super duper Japanese games. Is the title of a book history repeats itself? The video game edition. Yeah, good, can be, can be, sure. Ouch. <laughs> Anyway, I, I, I hope this means good things for the future of Tomb Raider. And, you know, there's no there's no new Deus Ex game announced at this time. There's certainly no new Legacy of Kane uh, game announced. That <laughs> series has been dormant for two decades now. Ooh. But hopefully under hopefully the new era of uh, Crystal Dynamics and IDOS underneath Embracer is you know, a, a, a bountiful one. Let's pull up. Let's go back to May 2002. GamePro Magazine. May 2002 issue of GamePro. Medal of Honor Frontline 
on the cover. A game which I think reviewed well, but I don't think is remembered. It's just not remembered at all, right? Mm-hmm. It's no. Just, it's not really a game that gets talked about a lot. They only get 12 cover stories a year, so I'm always surprised when it's a game that isn't really talked about, when it seems to be a forgotten game. Yeah. I mean, you know, Medal of Honor went like neck and neck with Call of Duty, but then eventually just got bodied by Call of Duty and, <laughs> and it sucked all the air out of the room. So jumping into it, the first thing we get is this bizarre ad for f- Fresh Games label, which as you can see is part of IDOS. Speaking of IDOS down the corner, mm-hmm. dope new releases straight from Japan. And it's hard to tell because they they the the box art is super small, but this is actually an ad for Mr. Mosquito and Mad Maestro on PlayStation 2. I have Mad Maestro's on the wall right behind me right now. Oh, that's that's amazing. one of the games that I that's been on display for a while. Okay, so I remember Mr. Mosquito. What is Mad Maestro? Uh, it was a rhythm game, a PS2. Like I, in that era, I was buying and playing all of the weird, bizarre, you know, rhythm and music games that came out. Frequency and amplitude, and uh, which they weren't that weird and bizarre, but just yeah, all of them. That was my jam. Well, this is a two-page spread for that's really an ad for two games, but the games are so minimal here. It's hard to even tell what this is an ad for. <laughs> I just think so. IDOS Interactive had its own like imprint that were was going to publish Japanese games. I just don't remember that being a thing. I remember Mr. Mosquito. Uh, E3 2002 is where you want to be. This is how to be there at GamePro.com. Ooh, I bet. I bet Pear was very cross <laughs> when he heard that. <laughs> Just an ad for Smash Court Tennis. Does this look like a comfortable way to play video games in your living room? <laughs> Here, no, that's thing. like... That's like when you get so into it and you're like when you uh, play a drive a racing game and you're liking the direction you're trying to drive into, even though that actually does, you know, does not control your game input. That's how I see that. But no, I'm never playing that way. I do often stand up if I'm playing a, a particularly difficult section. Mm-hmm. But this, oh. dude, this dude's not really he's like on his, his two feet, but he's hunched yeah. over like a hunchback. Do yeah. you, do, does anybody here particularly play tennis? Difficult. Have, have any of you ever played tennis or a yeah. lot? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so I played tennis in high school, and mm. and I, I I played a lot. This is what you do. Uh, this is a ready position in tennis. So that's a. It's a tennis oh, okay. Oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's kind that of makes like more sense. Waiting, when you're waiting for a serve, you're kind of hunched over, ready to do a forehand or a backhand and react really quickly. Nice. Well, I don't think so this yeah, is. I don't. I don't think this and is. And it's and it's actually the only way I play video games. So ah, okay. Lay off. <laughs> hunched over. <laughs> Standing up. Hunched over out there ready. Look, if you're going to be playing video games for hours on end, you got to get your workout in somehow, right? <laughs> I don't. So, I don't like the shoes on in the house. Yeah, yeah he same. is wearing shoes, but also, also the carpet. That, that yeah, shag the carpet. carpet the shag carpet is not period appropriate. No. Too. Mm. I think it's awesome. True. I mean, yes, awesome. Yes, <laughs> period appropriate. No. Okay, so in the uh, editors, uh, the letters section, we uh, got a. Uh, a letter, agree to disagree. I just finished reading GamePro's 2001 Editor's Choice Awards, and I must say that I'm very disappointed that Major Mike is the only editor who listed Final Fantasy X as his number one game. I can understand that Final Fantasy X would not be the number one pick for everyone, but it should have been well within the top three. Final Fantasy X is an amazing game that does everything right, from its 40-hour-plus enthralling story all the way to its addictive gameplay. Unfortunately, most new games focus on nice graphics at the expense of gameplay and length, Thankfully, Final Fantasy X is not that type of game. And whether you like RPGs or not, it's a must-play and own for everyone. Even if you don't like RPGs, it's a must-play and own. 
it may be a long time before a game of this caliber comes out again. Is the major the only one who realized how great this game really is? I don't know Game Pro enough to know the the personalities there or who the major is. I don't either, but it is one of it's. Um, I frequently cite it as my favorite game of all time. I've played it uh, several times over. I still have a paperback guide for it that I um, parsed through many times. I've leafed through and, and brutalized that book. It's it's an incredible game, and the graphics are incredible. On top of that, do you agree? Does it all? Do you agree? It's a must play and own, even if you don't like RPGs. I don't know about even if you don't like RPGs, because some people just cannot connect to certain genres, and I get that. It was kind of like the Forza uh, arguments, what was it, last year? Yeah. Um, people mm-hmm. saying it's like an incredible edition of that series, but if you just can't get into racing games and you don't like racing games, I don't think that it can overcome that personal taste. Right. Yeah. I mean, of course, like, you know, it's like, oh, this is the best pizza ever. Try it. And if someone's like, I don't like pizza, like yeah. the only reasonable <laughs> response is like, okay, okay. you yeah, don't exactly. need to like, I'm actually lactose intolerant. No, you must eat. This, this is the best pizza. Like, it's difficult to overcome that. <laughs> uh, this is a, a letter from Greg Skittles. Walter, what is with the Nintendo power cords? Every single one is a huge box. With the NES and SNES, there was this big black box that plugged into the wall. The N64 is a big black box plugged into the system itself. And now at the GameCube, the big black box is right in the middle of the power cable. What is the point of having it? The PlayStation, Dreamcast, and Xbox don't have it. Is it like an electrical Mm. thing so the system doesn't blow up or something? (laughs) Yeah, they didn't know about uh, power supplies back then. Did did somebody answer the question? I mean, yeah, but I thought maybe Sam could answer it. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of copper winding in those in the transformers to get them down to, you know, 12 volts out of your wall power of 120 volts. You got to just run something through it, basically a, a giant long power cord. But um, I, uh, the, the, you know, if you have a system with those built in it, there's a heavy corner of that system because they're still in it. It's yeah. still doing that. Yeah, it is put it's just like it's outside of it. And what's, you know, the good examples of that are like the PS3, right? It's like, yep. sure, it's got this little power cable that you plug into it, but like that thing's the size of a George Foreman grill and much heavier. <laughs> yeah, the huge, like the the PS3 and the Xbox 360 is a really good generation to compare because it's such a cheat. Like the 360 has this huge external power supply and it's yeah, like you it's didn't, massive. all you did was take this thing and take it out of the console, but it's still like the same volume and heat generation and weight and all that stuff. But you just shove it behind your TV instead. And then... Especially with the 360, like Xbox was very particular about telling you you should plug it directly into your wall, not into a power strip. Is that is it, are uh, these things are these issues related? I don't. I know. didn't remember that. Yeah, I, I don't remember why they would say that, and that could have been any number of like surge protecty things. I, I, that doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I know you. You know, it's like you, the more. I bet it it's probably indicates that it draws a lot of current because if you draw a lot of current from the same wall socket, you know, like things can get hot. It's not a great idea, but like, you know, I never heard about Xbox is failing that way. They failed in a, one other way a whole lot. <laughs> so this is May 2002. Does anyone remember when Sega announced it was getting out of hardware? Had it already happened? What, what year? Yeah. So 2002? Yeah. Around yeah, cause, cause they, they, yeah, they made, you know, their first GameCube games like right around then. Because we got an That's email. True. They got an email from someone who's not happy about seeing... Sega characters on other platforms. Says, did Nintendo, Sega, and Sony just merge? I just want to know why Sonic the Hedgehog, Spyro the Dragon, and Crash Bandicoot are on the Game Boy Advance on Nintendo platform. 
I just don't get it. All three of these companies are supposed to be rivals, and Sonic just doesn't belong <laughs> in the Nintendo game system. Same goes, same goes for Spyro, Spyro and Crash. What's next? Will Mario be on the PS2? Would Zelda be on the Dreamcast? Or are Jack and Daxter next to hit the GBA? That's great. Wait, wow. But I feel like if Sega had already made that announcement, then it wouldn't be surprising that that would happen. Mm. be happening. Yeah, but these are little kids and they're yeah, reading okay. magazines and okay. yeah. they have no idea what's going on. It's kind yeah. of incredible because the conversation today is the like diametric opposite of that. It is like we want more accessibility across more consoles and across yeah. more platforms and have everything be free reign. And let's do, you know, these mashup fighting games with a bunch of crossover characters because that's fun. And let's also put every character from every IP ever into Fortnite. Yeah. I did not think of Spyro as a, I know it is a PlayStation exclusive in hindsight, but I never thought of that as like some kind of like iconic PlayStation thing that Spyro. Yeah. I never thought about that. Mm. And at that, at this time they weren't even owned by, they were owned by universal. They weren't even Sony properties. Mm. Uh, Okay. In the news, the game boy advance dropped to 80 bucks uh, from a hundred deal. Yeah. And apparently it was all because the system was struggling in Europe. So they're going to slash the price in Europe and they're like, well, we have to slash it everywhere then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was the GBI. I, that, that exact one pictured here is the one that I owned before I got the SP. What a great console. Well, yeah, I mean, great console, but SP is like s- such an improvement, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, GameCube goes arcade. Sega, Namco, and Nintendo announced in February an agreement to jointly produce Triforce, a new 3D arcade graphics board. So this was what would lead to like the Mario Kart arcade cabinets, right? Well, I think so. And F Zero too, maybe. There's an no, F-Zero one? Um, the F-Zero one's earlier, I think, right? Sorry. But weird, definitely Mario Kart. Weirdly, I think these are in Soul Calibur and Monkey Ball cabinets. I think. I didn't know there were Monkey Ball cabinets. I didn't know Monkey Ball was an arcade game first. I didn't yeah. know that. Wow. Yeah. yeah I learned something here. Uh, but yeah, the cart... The, see, the thing is, the only reason... I, I know there's something there, and I'm sorry, I don't know this era of history too well, but the, those cart games are, are a little bit well they're a lot after this they're after double dash mm. and so you know i don't know if that would have been the same platform but i do remember i remember this news story and reading this like probably on ign at the time because i thought it was really cool um and then again of course here's an ad for crash coming oh, to xbox and he's getting an xbox tattoo <laughs> yeah the bandicoot's running with a whole new crowd <laughs> oh man <laughs> He's holding, also Crash is holding a teddy bear because I guess the, you know, tattoos can be painful. <laughs> uh, best-selling games. This is from January 2002. It comes from MPD, I guess, at the time. So, best-selling games, January 2002, Grand Theft Auto 3, Final Fantasy X, NBA 2K2, Madden 2002, Halo, Metal Gear Solid 2, Max Payne, Agent Under Fire, which I think is a 007 James Bond game, mm. and then March mm-hmm. Madness 2002. And then Linux on PlayStation 2, what belongs to no one, increases in popularity daily and gives Bill Gates nightmares. It's Linux, the open source operating system OS that some PC users are utilizing as an alternative to the omnipresent Windows. What's more, Sony will soon unleash Linux on the PlayStation 2 in its latest move to expand the PlayStation 2's capabilities. This is pre-Apple taking over. It's just like, yeah. it's really funny to like think about Windows being on everything and having yeah. Linux as this little contender. And Linux is still around and does plenty of operating systems. I don't know what you would do with Linux on a PS2. Like, it wouldn't run your PS2 games. Like, you'd still have to boot into the PS2 OS. So no, it's, like used, it's using the PS2 to basically have like basic desktop 
features yeah. on your if you have a keyboard and a, and a monitor. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then this is our static Mom, section. I can do my homework on it. Yeah, it's exactly. Worth it. <laughs> um, so this is in their static brief news bit section. This is a little questionable. This is, I raised an eyebrow at this. It says, if all goes well, by the time you read this, we should be straight into Compton. GamePro's offices are on the move to Oakland in a brand new shiny building. Oh, boy. Yeah, I don't know if they're moving to Oakland, but they are straight into Compton. Okay. Yeah. What else is there in the... Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, for any of you who still feel that copying a friend's game is a victimless crime, uh, the game biz lost $1.9 worldwide last year. That's roughly 38 million copies of Grand Theft Auto 3. What's piracy? Yeah. I wonder what that number is You can't even get today. Destiny for that much now. 38 billion? They didn't pay that much. And what they paid like nine billion for Bungie. Yeah. Uh, Justin, Magic the Gathering, Wizards of the Coast is taking the world's most ridiculously popular trading card game online. Is this a new beginning or the end of an era? Which was it? This is two thousand two. Yeah, Magic the Gathering online still exists. It's still around. So it's, there's multiple there's multiple magic on like there's magic arena if you want like a more casual hearthstone like like I'm just going to open some packs and play magic. But magic online is a different. It, it it's like the most hardcore if you want the exact same game you play on paper down to the letter, but it's just digital instead. That's what Magic Online is. Mm. Um, and you can you can redeem like if you get one of every single card in a set, like the new expansion, you can redeem them online and they'll send you paper cards. Whoa. I did it. I did it. Whoa. I did it right here. I don't know if you're watching oh, wow. on camera. Look at you. Wow. Yeah. Now they're ready to go. Well, yeah, I've been waiting. It's just my box of shame because I haven't put them in a binder yet. But um, yeah, for for each new expansion, you can, um, you know, they'll take them out of your Magic Online account and they'll send you paper cards. Wow. That's cool. Yeah, I can't believe it's still, I can't believe it's been around that long, 20 years. Goodness. Yeah. And here's the ad for Crash going to Game Boy Advance. <laughs> Crash is going small in a huge way and they have a, a He's standing next to his like car dashboard hula dancers to indicate mm -hmm. he's he's become small now. Oh, isn't hey, Handout yeah, Crash. I was gonna say Handout Crash is just as awesome as his console adventures. iGen.com. That's oh, awesome. That. Cool. Cool. So here's an ad for the R Zone <laughs> only at Toys R Us. And can anyone tell me what R Zone mean? Why would the R in Toys R Us is just an abbreviated like slang version <laughs> of the verb R? Yeah. What what is the R zone? It's their personal uh, zone of gaming. I mean, is this Our for like zone. big kids? Is this an ad that's like, hey, big kids can buy their games at tar at Toys R Us too? I guess I think so. it's totally. Yeah. totally with Matrix inspired graphical design and one, zero one one zero zero one zero one. Yeah. Yeah. They're just trying to do like a weird sci-fi you know, typeface for like I mean, Zone or, you know, I get that Amazon. I'm just trying to break down it. The title, our zone, what that what, it's the verb. Like, well, if you spelled it out like grammatically correct, it would be a R E zone. Yeah. This one would have to be They're They're doing the other pronunciation yeah. and it's, this is, just, I'm making this up and this is the O U R our zone. <laughs> well, maybe that would make more sense. 
Right? Damon, listen, if you're not from the R zone, you're not going to be able to understand so. the R zone. So. I guess so. I guess the R zone is not for me. The first rule of I guess the R zone is not for me. At the bottom, it tells what you can find at the R zone. Xbox, PS2, GameCube, PlayStation 1, Game Boy Advance, Game Boy Color, Controllers, Game Shark, Power Packs, Memory Cards, Stat Cards. What is that? What's a stat card? What's a stat card? Never. I don't know. I've never heard of it. I don't know what that is. Stuff into a uh, Dreamcast controller. I've never played a Dreamcast really. Unfortunately, I I think all the R zones have been ordered up. So we're never going to know what the stat cards were. And here we go. Lame pro. I don't know why this is their (laughs) April Fool's edition. I don't know why. I really like this. (laughs) I don't know why they're running in their May issue. I love every single one of these stupid (laughs) jokes on this page. (laughs) So lame pro. This is their April Fool's issue within an issue and they say meet me ouch you've got your sanrio <laughs> surprise right here and halo kitty that's really good it's incredible we all need a halo kitty figurine now uh and then they, there's some hbo games hbo's making games like gex and the city and tony <laughs> soprano's tony soprano's pro skate <laughs> i love it <laughs> I want to go back, go back. You missed okay. my favorite one. Sorry. They have Lord of the Rings Extreme Frodo Cross. Yeah. 2002. <laughs> 2002. Yeah. And it's just like a, a janky drawing of Frodo. Yes. Uh, With a very prominent foot, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hobbit feet. And then Twisted Sister mm-hmm. Black is in there as well. And then. Hey, and- sorry. Sorry. Go back one more time. <laughs> I don't know if they just couldn't make their deadline, but look, it's in their May issue. Yes. That's why I said. And April's crossed out. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like world's first April Fool in a May issue. Uh, I, I like they're like, well, guys, what are we gonna do? Lame Pro's not finished. <laughs> like, it's fine. We'll just do it next month. Yeah. There's more online, Damon. I know. Find out more online. Nintendo renames country Game Cuba. <laughs> Microsoft counters marketing move by annexing Xbox stand. <laughs> It says, taking the console wars to a new level, Nintendo announced this week that it had successfully wrested control of Cuba for the purposes of its $100 million marketing campaign, dubbing the newly liberated country Game Cuba. Damn, this is way better than some crappy trailer tour across America, said Shigeru Miyamoto. <laughs> Sounds like it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so Same stupid. I love so it. Stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, Medal of Honor Tricky. I don't know. It's just a, a like a snowboarding Medal of Honor game. I don't know. Army men, Operation Clean Latrine, a new army men game where you have to clean the toilets. Uh, let's see. Resident Evil Biobash is a collection of 25,000 mini games. Capcom versus SNL. <laughs> oh, because there was a big reaction against mini games at this time. Oh, is that true? Min- min- yeah, mini games were very uncool mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, had been shoehorned into many into many games and uh you know people people were really mad about you know mario party at all and in capcom versus snl just wait until evil jill valentine dante albert wesker and maximo take on saturday night live legends like land shark the spartan cheerleaders tunsis and belushi samurai (laughs) these are the actual cover stories i didn't realize they're actually going into what was on the fake cover yep Yep, yep, yep. And then, of course, Lord of the Rings, Extreme Frodo Cross. And what I think is interesting is they it just goes directly from their lame pro issue just into a preview, a review of Command and Conquer Renegade. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, no special joke section is over. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, they liked Command and Conquer Renegade. They gave it a 
8.5 in Fun Factor. This is an ad for Lucky Charms Star in Moon Marshmallows, which, you know, in 2002, I was not eating very many Lucky Charms. But maybe someone you out there. You won't believe your eyes. Lucky does it again. <laughs> A star appears when you pour on milk. Wow. <laughs> what? I mean, I don't understand how it would work. How would that work? It's like hypercolor, but for milk. Oh, my God. Like- I... Is it a dissolvable section? Yeah. It just turns into a hole. How does every tiny little uh, moon marshmallow have a dissolvable middle in the shape of a star? What kind of wizardry would make that? (laughs) You know, it dissolves in milk, sugar. And everything's made out of different types of sugar. Mm-hmm. And us, us adults are looking at this ad saying, ha, 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 ha. But I have an eight-year-old daughter. And if she saw this ad, <laughs> I, would, I would have to buy this for her just to get her to leave me alone. Probably. Yeah. Um, previews. Uh, so I, I kept this in just to show how, you know, tw- this, is, this issue is 20 years ago, 20 years old. There's still games that are still being <clears throat> talked about, remade, re-released today. Oh, Star yeah. Wars Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast preview. Hitman 2 preview. Uh, Elder Scrolls 3, Morrowind, mm-hmm. Icewind Dale 2. I don't know if that one has ever been re-released. Yeah, I Beamdog did it with all the others, I think, right? I don't, I don't know. Now, Hot at the Arcades. Sam, I don't think I know any of these games. The King of Route 66. Oh, this is 66. a dark time. Dark time for arcades. Not, I mean, the weird thing is that it wasn't a dark time for Japan. There should have been no. cool stuff coming from Japan. Yeah, it's just there was no arcades, you know? So, like, where would it come okay. to? The king, well, I guess I mean, movie theaters, right? Remember, pinball was like basically the most life support it could be on at this point because after yeah. pinball two thousand, Williams Valley Williams went away, and it was only Stern these these couple of years. And what Stern games came out like Austin Powers, Big Buck Hunter, mm. like these bizarre games you never see anywhere, and they're super janky with clip art. Like things things went bad then, but they bounced back. Now we're well, in the golden age of pinball, the best era. The King of Route 66, it says it's a sort of sequel to 18-wheeler American Pro Trucker. And it's like a sit-down cabinet where you drive big semi-trucks. Yeah, I something- vaguely know Police 911. That, that's, that's one I know. This is Police 911 Yeah, uh, Do you see that cabinet? It's Konami. Yeah, it says it's a, it's a motion sensor shooter, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool for 2002. Yeah. The Maze of Kings is something I've never heard of, but it says... No stranger to churning out successful arcade properties. Hitmaker of Virtua Tennis and Crazy Taxi fame is at it again with another shooting game. Wow. I don't know that developer name. And then there's Jurassic Park 3. Well, you've seen that one. I think that's like an environmental cab where you sit in it. It's all silly. Is that the one where you're like sitting in a Jeep? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of those, though. There's even a new one, which is really fun. Uh, There's there's a a Star Trek Voyager one for, for you Star Trek fans out there. There's a survey you can take to win an, a, an exclusive Game Pro T-shirt, and this T-shirt is so lame. It, this t-shirt, <laughs> they should have made it Lame Pro for how lame this shirt is. It's just a gray T-shirt with the tiniest little Game Pro logo in the center. Look, we really love the shirt design. Please make the logo much smaller. It needs to be much, much smaller than this. It's just I'd too like big. I'd like to say it was the style at the time. I just don't remember. <laughs> Who owns the Game Pro? What like? Does it, does anyone own the game pro where I'm going with this is Justin. If we could license this t-shirt and print it and put it in the IGN <laughs> shop, I think we could sell four or five copies of it. I think it'd be funny it. to print it with the 20 winners <clears throat> in that lower part looking all that's shit. good. And also Sam, <laughs> isn't that 20 winners like the old arcade font? 
Yeah, it kind it of looks, is, it, huh? it, just, it looks like it's me. And, and it's funny to me, too, that they're getting out 20 T-shirts. I know. 20, the just big 20. Giveaway yeah. For this, like, consumer information that they can use that's valuable. I mean, and I, I meant the old Atari font, by the way. Mm-hmm. We have um, we have uh, we have 14 million subscribers. How many shirts should we make and give give away? 20. 20 is good. Call it exclusive. Well, the ink, the inkjet printer is going to be out of ink for that iron on <laughs> graphic. <laughs> uh, an ad for Bloody Roar Primal Fury on GameCube. So the, it says oh, Primal Fury from the creators. Dinosaurs. Well, so it's not a dinosaur game. Uh, Bloody Roar was a. It started on PlayStation One, and it was like a transforming into animal, humans oh, transforming okay. into so animals. This is not Primal Rage. This is Bloody <clears throat> Roar. Right. right. It says from the creators of Bloody Roar One, Two, and Three. But like I was saying, this is a game where humans turn into animals, and it's a fighting game. But in this ad, they're completely downplaying the turning into animals aspect of it. Yeah. It's just a female fighter, and then there's a wolf behind her right shoulder, sort of in shadows behind her. So I don't know. I mean, it does, it's like it they does say confident. fight like an animal. Yeah, it says that. But yeah, I feel like that's like the whole concept of the game. I feel like they would want to show that. It makes it seem like they weren't confident that gamers in 2002 actually wanted to turn into animals and fight each other. I don't know. <laughs> uh, they have a review of Kingsfield, the ancient city, which is notable because this is a FromSoft game. Whoa. PlayStation 2. I remember watching like a history of friends from soft video a long time ago that mentioned this and a few of the other games. They're really interesting. It's like PC games. They did. They liked it well enough. Yeah. This is for PlayStation two. They gave it a four for fun factor. So this is, you know, still, I don't know what they made, you know, demon souls kicked off on PlayStation three. So I don't know what they made in between this and demon souls. They did. um, They made armored core, but they've been making, they've been making souls like games since the very beginning, which I, I don't, I don't think it's like that you know secretive of information now like now that the games are so big people have dug into their history but like these games have like illusory walls and like all like all the mm-hmm. esoteric stuff that's in the souls games now they 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 never were not doing it yeah which is fascinating to me yeah for sure and finally i wanted to uh, include this in their code vault there are codes for <clears throat> dvds so like Mad Max, the original Mad Max movie on DVD. There's a code you can enter to see, to like check out the cars in the menu. Oh. This is fascinating to me. And then they have one for Moulin Rouge for an extended your song scene, hidden bloopers and more. It says like on disc two at the main <clears throat> menu, enter the cutting room at the cutting room menu, highlight main menu at the bottom of the screen and then press right or left. When you do, a windmill appears on the left side of the screen. Press enter, and you can watch an extended Your Song scene. Jeez. It's insane. I mean, I definitely remember DVD Easter eggs, like, you know, finding hidden clickable things in the menus. I don't know. It's interesting. For Mad Max, on side A, also, I don't remember. I mean, DVDs didn't have sides. It just must be the... They mean disc one, right? What? No, no, they they had two-siders. DVDs? Yeah. Is that true? I feel like I'm on crazy pills right now. Yeah. It says yeah. on side A, highlight special features, then press up. When you do, Mad Max appears at the top of the screen. Press enter. When you do, Mad Max turns blue and you are taken to a hidden menu, the cars of Mad Max. Like, why? Like, why hide it? <laughs> well, exactly. Why hide away <laughs> your special features? Anyway, that is the May 2002 issue of Game Pro Magazine. Let's check in with the listeners. 
Hey, listeners. Listeners, you can remember, you can always reach us at the email address, GameScoop, just like Joe Bartolo did. It says, greetings from gloomy and hip Portland, Oregon, where, <laughs> as an illustrator, I have the luxury of listening to and watching old episodes of the show. I'm a returning gamer who took a couple decades off like a damn fool <clears throat> until December 2019. So he hadn't been gaming since the 90s, I guess. Well, when we bought a PlayStation 4 Pro, a few months later, I discovered your show and eventually began diving into the archive. I really greatly enjoyed the regular gang, and I'm glad to see that whenever you've had others join the show temporarily, they're always great too. In watching older episodes in the early five. 100 episodes pre-pandemic it really hit home how bummed you must all be to not be around one another these past two years since everyone seems really fun and funny as someone lucky enough to work from home with my wife was an author the pandemic didn't really affect our daily work situations but you all must be missing that lively workplace in a big way anyhow it's my first time writing in and i thought it might be a hoot to give you a potentially fun topic to discuss what games or franchise mashup would you like to see if you were each giving given omnipotence and a huge budget as an example, I'll choose that we get to play in third person as Chloe Frazier from Uncharted in an open world Assassin's Creed type game that takes place in the world of Wolfenstein 2, The New Colossus. Naughty Dog would make it. What are your mashups? I imagine you'll at least be able to come up with something more creative than I just did. But hopefully that gives you a good jumping off point. Why is Chloe in the world of Wolfenstein? I feel like the writers are going to have a hard time justifying this. As with so many trivial decisions that I make on a daily basis, I'm going to let, I'm going to leave this up to, Chance, the universe, I, I go to my friendly random number generator, and I have here the SNES Omnibus. This is the for all SNES games, A through M. So we're, mm -hmm. we're going to have Frankenstein together, uh, a mashup mm. a mashup game here. So uh, Jim started with character. It's about 400 pages in this issue. So <clears throat> our character will be from page 244 of the SNES Omnibus, and that's going to give us a protagonist of... Who will it be? 44. Uh, GP1. <laughs> Sega, wait, wait. GP1 is influenced by Sega's Hang On. So it's a motorcycle racing game. Okay, so, so we have a motorcycle driver. You're a motorcycle driver. Okay. Cool. The next one was the, mm -hmm. the gameplay style, I believe. That's going to be found cool. on page 329. I hope it's an RPG. <laughs> the first motorcycle driver RPG. It's just mm. days gone. That's true. <laughs> Motorcycle Driver is in a type of game that is The Legend of Zelda. So it's Zelda-like. <laughs> okay, okay. Zelda Motorcycle -like Driving Zelda-like. It's kind of starting to sound more and more like Days Gone again. So the <laughs> setting, the setting is going to be found on page 344. Give me zombie apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. This is great so far. It's like you, you're upgrading, you're getting new upgrades for your motorcycle, lets you access new areas of the map. Like you can eventually jump over little rivers and stuff or, yeah, or run yeah. through a wall with a boost. 100%. The setting is Madden 94. So, <laughs> <laughs> we were doing so good. So you're a motorcycle driver in a Zelda-like game, but the setting is like football. So you're, fo okay, mm. so you're a football player who rides a motorcycle in, mm. a, in a, uh, a Zelda-like. But here's what's good is that there's football mm. uh, uh, fields in almost every environment you can think of so you can That's have true. a lot of a lot of different open world areas to explore it would have to That's just, just be all football have. levels and then it could be different stadiums from different cities the stadiums could be like the dungeons oh, yeah. exactly there you go there you go and then Maybe you play football on a motorcycle like uh like that robot like mutant yeah. league football or mm -hmm. 
even before Mutant League football. What's what's the cyber arcade uh, football game, Sam? Hard hardball or something? Uh, cyberball? Maybe it's cyberball. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the final detail Jim provided was the developer, and on page one hundred three, the developer is Electronic Arts. Cool. So Electronic Arts is delivering this game where you're a football player who rides a motorcycle around a Zelda-like adventure, going into dungeons in different football stadiums. I wonder what I wonder the game... EA, do you think EA has ever like done a Rocket Zelda? League. Has yeah. EA ever done what? Oh, I was saying, has EA ever done a Zelda-like? Hmm. Good question. I don't think so. We'll do one more. Uh, okay. <laughs> Okay, so our protagonist is found on page 347. It's a game called Magic Boy. You know this game, I, Sam? I remember. I can picture the art for it, but I don't know what it's, it's from about. from JVC. Okay, so our protagonist is a magic boy in this mm -hmm. game. Yeah, Ooh, page 12. This will be early. It's common protagonist type in video games. Yeah. Love it. Uh, the game type is on page 12. Three ninjas. Okay. <laughs> three ninjas kick back. So you're a magic boy. Who is a ninja? Uh -huh. Or what was this type of game? What, what game was this? It's a side-scroller game. Okay. You're fighting ninjas. Okay. It's like a, a platformer yeah. brawler. You're a magic boy in a, in a brawler platformer. And the setting is on page 105. That's uh, Kakoma Night in Busyland. You lost me there. Similar to Ultimate Kicks for the Genesis. It's a Kicks-like. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But a, puzzle, a puzzle game. Yeah, but this Busyland is going to be the setting. So I don't, I, I don't know really know what busy what Busyland is like. This is from Seda, the publisher. It, it sounds geometric. Yeah. Up until then, you were describing Ghosts of Tsushima. That's true. <laughs> Finally, kind of a magic boy. This game is going to be made by Konami. So I yeah, have a, yeah. I have a good out. out of the park. They're really good, good with their magic boys. Good feeling about it. Uh, thank you for being such a big <clears> sport on that really stupid segment. That brings us to video game twenty questions. You're, you're thanking us for being good sports. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. We didn't have a we didn't have a choice. But still, just, you still have my thanks. Is is does Alucard count as a magic boy since he is yeah. Jack Bill's son? Oh yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, for sure. Okay. We'll make it Alucard. Uh, our twenty questions suggestion this week comes from Cheesy in Pokey, Idaho. Let the questioning begin. Was this video game developed in Japan? No. There goes that meta. Mm -hmm. um, would you describe this as a spooky game? No. Uh, did this game come out in the 90s? No. Is this game part of a series? Uh, I guess technically, but it... You know, for all intents and purposes, it could also be no. Technically, like a like a spinoff, or it's not Mega Man sequel. Uh, <laughs> is this available for the Nintendo Switch? No, that's five. Is it a platform exclusive? It was. Wait, well, what do you mean like I, today? Wait, we uh, at launch is uh, a good way to do that, right? Yeah, yeah, at launch. At launch, yes. Well, was that a PlayStation platform? No. Oh boy. Well, okay. Was it a Nintendo platform? No. Did we ask that question already? 
No, just if it was on Switch. Oh, okay. Um, so Xbox or PC or mobile or something weird or Sega. Mm-hmm. It's true. Um, <clears throat> we don't know if it's eighties or two thousands. <laughs> nope. Uh, did this we can come- do that or we can? Yeah, could you get- we can do whatever. Go for it. And uh, what did this come out after the year 2000? No. Oh, wow. All right. We are barking up the wrong tree then. Yeah. Uh, Xbox so, would have been a difficult exclusive for mm-hmm. that. Um, but, but also <laughs> not Nintendo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so it could still be PC, could be Sega. Was this exclusive to a Sega platform? No, that's 10. Oh, great. <laughs> cool. Atari. A car- arcade, maybe. Arcade. Mm. Was this an arcade game? Yes. There we go. Oh. <laughs> Wasted wow. too many on that I one. I know. Jeez. Uh, did this come out before 1983? Yes. Okay. That's good. So it'll be like one that we all know and recognize. I mean, you know, so that like, well, like centipede. Yeah. So we we asked the Japanese question, right? So it's. Not oh right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good call. No, no, the, the centipede was developed in America, right? Yeah, by so Donna Bailey at Atari. Oh, so it could be, yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple. You can go. You can go space. You can go bugs. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's some eating. Yeah, <laughs> eating. Does it involve? Is it about food? Yeah. Miss Pac-Man was developed in America. Uh, is this an Atari developed game? Yes. Okay. So Atari '80s. Uh, well, sorry, Atari pre '90s. Yeah, well, early 80s, before 83. Yeah, uh, before 83, so it could be, you know, Pong, I suppose. Um, let's see, how many questions do we have? You have you can ask uh, about controllers. Six, six questions and a guess left. Yeah, or sports. Yeah. Um, I think that's obviously a series. Well, okay, uh, how about this? It, is, this a, is this game in color? No. Whoa. All there right, that limits it significantly. We got Atari football, Asteroids, Pong. Those would be the ones that people would pr- and some you know racing stuff. There's not much black and white Atari game. Should we go with? Did we name this game yet? Well, we just listed a bunch. I'm, but it's yeah, it's probably Pong or Asteroids. Yeah, is this a vector game? Yes, it's fifteen. Oh, cool. Okay, so it's not Tempest because that is uh, that, but it also could be Battle Zone. Battle Zone technically looks like it's color because it has a gel over it. Um, anyway, do you, did you destroy asteroids in this game? Yes. Right. <laughs> Is asteroids? Is asteroids. Great job. That was in 16 <laughs> questions. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> technically, there was, and I think an asteroids like Deluxe. Asteroids Deluxe. I don't know if there's an asteroids okay. 2, but you know, part of a series. There's asteroids right here. Yeah. Asteroids is really, um, I, I feel like, you know, like Pong, Pong is an interesting historical curiosity, but it's not like a fun, enjoyable game to play in 2022. But like, if, if in my opinion, if you sit down and play Asteroids, like it's still really compelling and good. And the way your ship moves around is really good. Like, it's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think Pong is really fun and compelling, especially that physical one we had. In I was going to say, the, like, really cool mm-hmm. the electromechanical Pong is super cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Asteroids, the, it really suffered from the, um, I can show you the uh, this little the control panel for it. Mm-hmm. Get it framed up here. It's not a joystick, right? right? So these are all buttons. So it's like there's two buttons to turn left and right. 
and then a button to thrust and a button to fire and then a button for hyperspace. And the hyperspace button just warps you to a random location. So th- that that control scheme, you know, if this is a joystick, a lot more people would have a lot more fun or a twin stick shooter, right? With asteroids. But instead, you had to learn these kind of like NASA level controls for it. And I think that made it really difficult. Or it makes it really difficult for me. And another game of that theme is Defender. It's just, yeah. I, I, I'm not good at Defender. And I could be if I spent my entire life wrapping my brain around its, again, like, panel of buttons that, that you know, with a single up-down joystick. Like, it's just difficult stuff. But Sam, <clears throat> they must have re-released it at some point with a different control scheme. Because I played, I remember playing Asteroids and it had like a trackball or a spinner yeah. or something. Maybe you played it in like a, a, one of those collection cabinets at some point. Um, well, Asteroids I mean, Deluxe is the same controls. I, w- I would have played it in the early 80s. I don't know. Maybe somebody hacked something together. I mean, Vectrex had a version of it. Did you play Vectrex? No. No one played. Storm. No one played Vectrex. So rude. <laughs> anyway, nicely job. Thank you for the suggestion. Cheesy in po- Pokey, Idaho. Uh, viewers and listeners, if you have your own suggestions for 20 questions, email them to me at the email address, gamescoop at IGN.com. And that's going to do it for this edition. Gamescoop, that's all the scoops we have for you this week. I almost started in. That's going to do it for this edition of Next Gen Console Watch. Getting my shows all mixed up. <laughs> you different uh, outros. Yeah, they, I do have different outros and intros. Anyway, thank you, Sam. Thank you, Tina. Thank you, Justin. Thank you to Alan working behind the scenes to make this episode possible. My name is Damon. This is IGN Gamescoop. And we're out.